So tonight I'd like to offer some reflections on the theme of right speech, which may not be a total surprise to some of you. Uh, those of you who've just arrived, we've been sort of loosely exploring a bit some of the aspects of the Eightfold Path so far this month. And um, so I'd just like to offer some reflections on that um, and explore a little bit also how our how our practice on retreat, when we're mostly in silence, um, can still be very much a part of that, that cultivation, that exploration, and very much seeing it as uh, an opportunity where we are, uh, in different ways, cultivating wholesome conditions of heart and mind, from which helpful and Skillful speech is more likely to arise. Might be one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to offer a few different thoughts and some teachings from others. And as always, really very much invite you to listen in a, a way where it's relaxed but not casual. All right. Just grounded, spacious, seeing and sort of re receptivity to just see what touches and uh, what usefulness there might be or just what resonates uh, and not feeling like uh, you have to sort of pick up on everything and carry it with us in our little Dharma rucksack. You can let it arise and pass, leave it here <laughs> as you wish. But yeah, so... I think uh, I often, when when I'm revisiting these themes, again, appreciating the opportunity to really look again and inquire and sort of refresh that sense of the this very uh, important part of our practice and indeed very important and predominant part of our life. Uh, and as we all well know, that retreat doesn't mean the absence of words or language or maybe not so much speaking it out loud but you know how much that is, is very much with us the vachi sankara the verbal faculty as I was talking about yesterday morning with regard to thoughts so uh, we can see how um, powerful how how much we can be affected, affected by another person's words and yes, and how much our words, perhaps there are those, we all have those moments where we thought, oh God, I wish I hadn't said that, you know, like, oh, um, we've maybe hurt another or is that awareness of how words have had the power to really, really help and support us in some very significant ways. You know, I was thinking of examples in my own life, you know, particular times when, you know, speech has been very, like, very important, particular words or phrases that, you know, if you looked at them now, 10 years later, you think, well, yeah, okay, you know, but somehow that, 
you know, that beautiful moment, the timing, conditions come together and something is communicated and something somehow heard that is just what need needed to be heard. And I was thinking well, this example comes to mind many years ago when I was when I was young. <laughs> I was young. Oh, anyway, yes. Uh, and very difficult time in my life, big relationship, uh, you know, intimate romantic relationship split up and I was really in a mess. And I went through this very angry phase and I got it into my head that I would, I was going to publish something in the newspaper about this guy, <laughs> how awful he'd been. I mean, I don't know if I really would have done it, but it was felt like an extremely good idea. And then I remember a very dear mentor and teacher at that time came around to see me, sat with me while I was ranting and raving and weeping and wailing. And, and I, she, she said, she said other things. At some point she just said, keep your dignity. <laughs> Something about that was very, very important. I kind of clung to that a bit. Because it's something in us can hear and feel the wisdom of that, even though some other bit of us is, is doesn't hear it. And probably you can think of many examples of times when people have spoken to you in a really helpful, kind, appropriate, timely, and in a way rooted in goodwill. So there's the kind of summation of the Buddha's advice on right speech. Yeah, and so in a way, sometimes I think that's an incentive for me to really like, practice this, because you know I know how hurtful speech can be, and I know how helpful it can be. And also, as I was preparing this talk, I thought, boy, we can never really get it right all the time. So let's not get all uptight trying to tiptoe around and say the right thing all the time, because I think that can be a little bit of a danger in this area. So I want to kind of open that up a bit. And I was also thinking actually also of two occasions, you know, the Buddha would give this advice on if speak, people speak to you harshly, you know, in a way which is unkind and harsh or untrue. Abide with the mind imbued with loving kindness. Yeah. And I, I've heard Joseph teach on this and it's like he said, it's a high bar. And I thought, well, yeah, it is, but it's also extremely pragmatic because it, it kind of works. It's, it's like, you know, if you're going to minimize harm. And I was remembering one occasion, again, many, many years ago, very memorably, where I was teaching and a young person sort of blew a top at me and it was like something in me just opened up and just let it all kind of blo- like 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 a kind of wind you know <laughs> so it was just kind of you know like in movies when the ghosts go straight through people it felt a bit like that you know and i so one of the things i've been reflecting on the last few days is something something of that experience which was really quite Spontaneous, and I think it occurred before I even started meditating. So there's some wisdom in us, isn't there? That's sort of not, 
you know, Buddhist it's just you know just wisdom and sometimes conditions and I think with that particular occasion one of the very very key conditions was I really really cared about this young person and something about that I think was one of the ingredients that enabled me to just like stay open and I also thought it's like I think I'm gonna this has only occurred recently but I think it's a practice I'm going to sort of take up and explore a bit more of in the speaking and the hearing the conversations of course I'm in a bit of a different position than you I get to talk quite a lot while I'm here you know (laughs) it's like quite a lot of talking and listening and so that's you know and I'm really aware how like I was thinking how could you bring the three characteristics in here okay hmm unsatisfactory or unsatisfying yeah that works speaking no sometimes you can say the the right thing or it flows and you know it's creative and enjoyable and you know it's like connecting and then sometimes like you know crank oh dear oops no that wasn't it did you mean that no (laughs) and and i was thinking yeah this for me feels very important somehow because I think I have a lot of conditioning of maybe we all I don't know different for different people where somehow facility with language and fluency and sort of cleverness with language is like uh, it gets to be one of the ways we try to manipulate life you know make things okay or get this to happen or you know it's and so somehow for me this is, anyway, yeah, I want to reflect more, but that sort of sense of how I think maybe in our very, very verbal, conceptual sort of culture we can overemphasize the verbal faculty, you know, as the means to, you know, connect, to learn, to, you know, I don't know, just we want it to do so much for us, and I wonder if we're, putting too much weight on it. I'll talk a bit more about this later, but for me this feels quite sort of alive. So they're seeing the dukkha, the unsatisfactory, just like it can't, like however much I want to give the best Dharma talk in the world, it's going to make us all our hands, you know, in like next 30 minutes or something. <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> maybe some of us wake up a little bit during this talk, maybe some of us go to sleep. <laughs> I don't know. It's like just like I'm not in control of that, you know. And isn't that again and again in our practice in so many different ways? Like oh, and I know it's a bit different for you with the speaking because you're not doing that so much. But sometimes I, you know, I feel it like when you come into for the one to ones, and it's like sometimes you know there's that like I just want to say the right thing and you know sound sane or. <laughs> Or like a really good yogi, or I don't know different things, um, and that's and it's so lovely because then maybe you know in that kind of situation because you, you, you have the retreat sort of mindfulness that's you say oh wow look at that you know, and in the group the discussion group we're different you know what's there for you we can 
maybe even though you're not speaking as much as I am, you can you can still really see see into some of this. So speech is wonderful and lovely and can bring a lot of healing and happiness and hurt and suffering. And it is un it's yeah, it's limited. It's dukkha, it's anicca. So that's like I wonder, I'm going to explore this more, but what would it be like if as you were speaking and listening, you were just really tuned into this, is coming and going to rise, like, whoa, you know, it's, 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 it's just happening, it's hardly here, it's just a kind of, you know, and, and, and doesn't that, I think there's such a common tendency for us to replay conversations, <laughs> I certainly do this sometimes after a talk and I'll go and I'll go over it and over it and over it and think, I said that, did I say that? Did I say that right? I could have said that, oh, I missed that bit out, you know, like this kind of, I like, what would it be to, to have it be like, just like an in-breath and an out-breath? So, yeah. So, so to feel as you're speaking or as you're listening, the anicca, the, the sort of fleetingness of it, yeah. I think sometimes again we can put so much weight on words, either reading them or thinking them or hearing them or speaking them. It's like so maybe seeing them in this way with the three characteristics is just maybe one way of kind of just like, oh, you know, lightening that up and the, and the anatta, the it's like who who, who, who is this talking? <laughs> Who's talking? Who's listening? You know, is there this like, oh. So listening, hearing, speaking is happening, listening is happening. You know, what's it like to kind of, so, hmm. I mean, certainly there's particularities of person and, you know, certain uniquenesses and and then, do you see the kind of potential weight that can lift off if it's not me having to get it right so that you feel better? Oh, it's hard work. And, and don't you, you know, I, I can really see this in my relationships, I guess, and, uh, you know, maybe for all of us in different ways. Like, yeah, um, how... This practice of right speech is, is in itself a practice of freedom. You know, it's like that quality, that sort of holographic quality, it's all in there. It's all in there. The, the whole of the path or, you know, all the, what we can discover in that, in that practice. So I wanted to share a bit about what the Buddha said about right speech. Um, just to sort of, just, just to bring that into, into our, um, reflections. So I, I went through quite a few suttas and just sort of gathered some of the different, different, um, aspects. So firstly, to, the Buddha advises us to cultivate speech that is about the Dhamma that promotes harmony and friendship, is true, useful and timely, brings peace, 
is connected with metta, is gentle, compassionate, beneficial, avoids self-praise or censure of others, is unhurried. leads to wholesome states, goes to the heart, is courteous, agreeable to many, and relevant to contentment, seclusion, energy, virtue, concentration, wisdom, and deliverance. I don't know, I don't know about you, as I, thought I read that, I find that very uplifting somehow. I don't know, it's sometimes like, depends on how it, how it maybe it just sounds like something impossible that no, no human being could, could achieve. But somehow to me, it's, I find that very beautiful and somehow encouraging and uplifting. And then he advised us to abandon speech that is untrue, idle, malicious, divisive, concerned with personal gain, connected with inner hate, low, vulgar, coarse, ignoble, unbeneficial, pointless, that leads to unwholesome states, is rough, hard, hurtful, offensive, hurried, conducive to conflict. So, I mean, if we, yeah, so just, hmm, maybe that, just the direction that we're, we're kind of pointed in, or uh, just, yeah, um, hmm. So, so, I think what, the, again, as I was just saying a little bit before, I think what's interesting is how, um, if we think of the path as the middle way, which is like what I was mentioning last week, and we, we hear the Buddha speaking of the Eightfold Path as the middle way, and how we, we tend to swing between extremes, and with regard to speech, I was thinking that for me, and I, I see this in others, maybe we have our, our versions of this, that one of the ways it can swing, um, you know, the Buddha, was it, uh, so the middle way is that which is between self-mortification and self-indulgence. So I found this uh, interesting reflection with regard to speech, how we use speech you know, either inwardly in our minds or or outwardly um, in one of those directions, and how um, how it how how maybe there's this tendency in order to try and avoid the um, the unskillful, there can be a tendency to either. The extreme of um, like um, what I was thinking of unnecessary restraint or you know suppression or kind of being feeling of being silenced that 
kind of holding holding back, holding that kind of in or something like that, which probably many of us have from up you know upbringing and so on. Well, the other the other one, it's it, it, then it swings the other way. You see this at the end of retreat sometimes, don't you? It's like you just start like burbling endlessly to anybody who will listen to you say anything. <laughs> and they're like, whoa, sort of un, unrestricted sort of expression, you know. I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't have that tendency, but I can sort of see that sometimes, um, the sort of holding back and then somehow it all comes flooding out and, and, and almost like the relief of being able to just, you know, just let it all hang out. So something about the middle, the middle way of finding, like a more balanced, sort of grounded, um, uh, maybe silent space in a way where we we can find avenues for speaking, which speaks through, like speaking with someone today about how, and I see I, I see this in in people a lot. Like you have the courage to speak through the doubt or the nervousness or the, you know, not sure and then you sort of, you try anyway. You don't, you know, you, in in the attempt to articulate, the attempt to express what can sometimes feel so either scary or just gets so hard to put into words but that something about the attempt to share, to express, to, to communicate something of our experience is like so isn't that that's just such a feels like such a natural part of a human being and also yeah such a powerful powerfully freeing thing i i um have this quote from uh um audrey lord um writer African-American woman, I believe. She's, she wrote, My silences had not protected me. Your silence will not protect you. But for every real word spoken, for every attempt to speak these truths for which I am still seeking, I had made contact. Yeah, so... And that very beautiful, inspiring. But sometimes feel that's what we, when we share about our practice. So it's trying to make that contact through the sharing, the speaking, the listening to probably what is in a way essentially unknowable and unspeakable. But somehow still we we feel that need to try and there's some there's some benefit from that hmm so what what helps us what helps us to to uh to cultivate to train in in right speech and as i was saying earlier i think all of the wholesome qualities the mindfulness the kindness the patience that we there's just naturally being cultivated to our practice is, you know, I think perhaps sometimes indirectly a very powerful support, isn't it? Because where does speech come from? It comes from the heart, the mind, 
so so what the qualities that we're cultivating in our practice on retreat and it's really directly relevant really can be there more and more for us in our speaking life in our in our interactional life and I also think and, and that there are trainings around like you maybe you've done some of them with nonviolent communication or um, racial justice training or um, conflict resolution training or this uh, insight dialogue that I think sometimes I feel like that we do need some help, some training with the in the speaking. Uh, so there's sort of interactive opportunities to train and explore sort of with others. It's incredibly helpful. We, we can't do it all in the silence, unfortunately. It's, like, it's not a magic wand, necessarily. Yeah. Um, well, let's see. This isn't going quite how I planned, which is kind of often the case, but it's interesting. I'm trying to get the balance between the planning and the things I want to share and sort of allowing the talk to unfold. And I think that's also sort of, I don't know, very interesting sort of, yeah, practice with speech of trying to be intentional and clear and relevant, (laughs) but also make space, you know, for creativity or spontaneity or, you know, because then that, it somehow, yeah, it's, then the, maybe the communication can be more alive and more responsive to what's actually happening, you know, in us, in others. So I don't know, I mean, this is a bit of a one-way conversation, but I'm trying to listen as well. I'm really trying to listen to you. It's kind of quite a practice when you're not saying anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, lis- the listening, listening. Yeah. Hmm, trying to think. Hmm. Hmm. Well, mindfulness of mind states. I will just keep going. And I think this is very. You know, obviously, so much of our practice here is tracking the mind and these changes of mood and states. I mean, oh, being excited, being unhappy. You know, and then and seeing the kinds of thoughts, the kind of uh, thoughts, and then sometimes speech or notes or. <laughs> you know, your journaling or, you know, that what, what, you see that very direct relationship between thoughts and mind states, yeah? It's very interesting how, you know, they feed each other, they feed each other. This is an ongoing interest to me where I think, where, and I sometimes can feel this in, in the one-to-ones, it's like, what is actually a useful way of talking right now? What would what is actually, have you ever had that experience where you're going, you're talking and you're talking to somebody and you're going, yeah, no, 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 and then you suddenly stop and realize this is really not helping anything. <laughs> you sort of, sometimes it's those stories, isn't it? Those sort of things that you've said hundreds of times. And you said, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know. 
this wonderful practice I got from Joseph, who I know got it from someone else, so it's great the way these things circulate. Maybe, maybe you've heard this. Mm. Practice. Why am I talking? <laughs> W-A-I-T. Wait. Why am I talking? I love that. <laughs> so great. You know, um, yeah. Who am I trying to be? I really like that as well. Like, I have this quote from Kevin Griffin Who am I creating with my words? I mean, isn't this the way you talk to yourself? You know, the thoughts, it's, it's, it's very much about that, isn't it? Uh, you, you, who am I? Who am I trying to be? Right. So when after the retreat, when I'm with that person and we're in that cafe, and I'm going to say this so that they think that <laughs> something, some version of that, very common, I think. So he said, "Who am I creating with my words? Can we let go of that idea and instead of expressing me, try to express compassion, wisdom, and love?" I love that. It's like that would that might you know. And maybe post-retreat or something, you know, if you want to practice with right speech, I think that could be a really helpful focus to see who who am I creating and then see kind of what happens if... I'm sorry, okay, I'm just trying breathe out, drop the self-concern, focus on the other person, for example, and just, or feel the ground or, you know, different ways you can sort of, okay. And then to see what comes. I also heard this one. I think if you want to talk, ask a question and then listen. I feel that was really good as well. Because we have that. We want to. We want to connect. We want to talk. We want to... Yeah. So another thing I wanted to show is what we're really... That, that this, this is getting into the way cravings. We're talking about craving actually. Feel like I've touched on it several times. It's like, how does craving show up in speaking? You know, and, and, and of course you see it in thoughts. So again, it's, it's the same sankara. It's the same sankara family. The patterns of the the verbal faculty. So, what kind of craving is there? I just think you know. I'm trying to be nice, so you'll like me, <laughs> or. Maybe you have your own favorite ones. Yes. And sometimes that's not there, you know, and that's, I guess that often feels really good if there's just more a sense of, again, it's just connecting, expressing, exploring, offering, giving, you know, kindness, how are you? Or, I don't know, just. And so um, Gregory Kramer names these what he calls three interpersonal cravings or hungers, which is, I think, very, very makes sense to me. Also, the first one is the need for pleasant stimulation by others. Yeah, so that would be like the interpersonal version of the craving for sense sense pleasures. So we want, you know, don't you feel that on retreat sometimes? You just want a bit of, you know. You know, yeah, 
high, yeah, you know, pleasant, how are you, <laughs> some of that. Um, but there's another side to that, which is the fear of loneliness. So I find that really interesting and uh, seeing when there's that kind of, you know, craving, that sort of, you know, kind of reaching out, sort of, you know, it's like the fear of just to see if there's some sense of a fear of loneliness, of being alone. So it uses that sort of reaching out for that contact. Or the second one, the interpersonal craving version of, of uh, Bhavatanha, the need to be seen and the fear of invisibility. Interesting. Need to be seen, you know. So just to notice that's you walk around and you have that sense. I just, hey, check me out. I'm practicing. Oh, hi, I'm looking good, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm doing doing good here. Everybody see me? I'm practicing. <laughs> the fear of invisibility. Yeah, it's just so. The third one, Vibhavatanha. This is. Certainly, if you you can see, you have more some tendencies than others. So the need to escape and the fear of being seen. Like, mm-hmm, yeah, that's one of my big ones. <laughs> I'm not really here. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? I end up at the front. Oh, mm. The need to escape. I mean, don't we? That happens on retreat, doesn't it? I just want to get away from people. You know, do you ever notice that you try and find roots around the building and the premises that will minimise the? Anybody do that? <laughs> no. Um, I remember a, a, a retreat centre place I lived at years ago. I was living there several years, and and as the years went on, I was more and more committed to my paths of avoidance you know and of course I've been there a while so I knew if I go that round that way then I completely miss that and then if I go in at that time I'll miss those people (laughs) anyway we all have our tendencies to me that's so like if I you know if we understand that that again you know obviously Buddha recommends we abandon these cravings, but to even know it in the first place, I think as Rebecca was saying in a talk last week, you know, oh, you know, I really, really want to disappear and be invisible and not be here. This is Vibhava Tanha. Oh, okay. Right. Hmm. Fear of being seen. Yeah, yeah. What does this need? You know, so there's some possibility of, you know, some of these probably such strong ingrained patterns. Um, And that's where, again, I think some of these trainings, these interactive trainings are helpful. So you get to work through some of this stuff with, you know, in a kind, safe environment where you can sit there and feel all this stuff. Nobody's going to blame you for it. It's like, they're going to say, great, good. Good, it's being it's becoming more conscious. So I won't say too much more. It's funny, isn't it? It was like talking about thoughts yesterday. I had loads of thoughts about what to say about thoughts, and 
talking about talking and talking and talking. <laughs> Lots more could be said. So, hmm. I also, so just a couple more things that the, this quality of listening and allowing silence, pauses, gaps, and somehow in relation to ourselves, you know, on retreat and with regard to the inner speech, the listening. You know, sometimes I think we're so committed or kind of involved in trying to get rid of all those pesky thoughts. Ah, listening. Yeah. My my teacher Stephen Batchelor, I think it was him, he he had this practice sometimes he would like in his meditation he would pretend he was was imagine he was sitting near the hole, you know, in the soil of of an animal and he would just sit and then just wait. And it was like for the thought to pop out. Just sit there and just wait. It's interesting. you try this, it's kind of interesting to see what happens. <laughs> so perhaps we can we can find for ourselves on retreat and off retreat ways to open up this practice of right speech to not just have it as a good idea and I've got to and you know, sort of the Buddha said and but somehow to find out for ourselves a way of communicating, a way of listening and speaking where it actually is uh, helpful for us and for others, you know, in a way of freeing, of 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 inquiring, of of offering, of you know, um, expressing kindness and appreciation. So yeah, to be explored. And I might be lastly just one one other part of this that's maybe as I get older it becomes seems to become more important. That some sense of um of death, of the fragility of our life, you know. And this might be the very last email. I ever send to this person? What do I want to say? And how do I want to say it? You know? And I think sometimes when I, I that, that somehow there's something that somehow that's, that supports me, that, that often I want to just even just express some kindness or appreciation or something And care. I mean, I, I had this difficult sort of email report thingy to write a while ago, and it took me two months. I waited, unfortunately I could, I waited two months, and then I was able to express it in a way that felt, you know, appropriate, timely, useful, sort of carefully and respectfully expressed rooted in a sense of goodwill. So, um, yeah, and maybe just just close with um,
poem by a poet called Mark Nepo. And uh, yeah, I'll just read the poem. Having loved enough and lost enough, I am no longer searching, just opening, no longer trying to make sense of pain, but being a soft and sturdy home into which real things can land. These are the irritations that rub into a pearl. So we can talk a while, but then we must listen the way rocks listen to the sea. And we can churn at all the things gone wrong, but then we must lay all distraction down and water every living seed. So we can talk a while, but then we must listen the way rocks listen to the sea. And we can churn at all the things gone wrong, but then we must lay all distraction down and water every living seed. So thank you for your kind attention and I will put that poem on the board for you. So let's just take a moment, just uh, shift your posture if you want to and just take a moment before we chant the reflection on the sharing of blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.